you guys doing? Good. Uh, my name's Eric. Uh, welcome to E3. I'm the worship pastor here and getting to the, the privilege and the honor to kind of share some thoughts with you guys this evening. Pay it forward. Um, this cool movie, this cool concept of, in which this child has the audacity to think that small actions of generosity and giving could possibly change the world. And that as you give something to somebody kind of without any idea of being paid back, that they might be moved to give something to somebody else. And uh, the reason I wanted us to take a look at that clip before I started talking is that it gets at this idea of, of blessings, which is what we're going to kind of spend a few minutes together about. The idea of, of, of what a blessing is and what the Bible says about a blessing and, and really, ultimately, what the effect of a blessing can be. I mean, can something that's just a small little uh, part of your world, a few words mentioned, you know, or a small action, can that actually move forward and change the world? And uh, I think I would say, just so you know the end of the story, that it can, and it does, and it will. And the reason why we wanted to kind of uh, talk about it is that we're doing this series called Together We Can, kind of inspired by this statue that Pastor Mark got uh, in Benin. And we really wanted to just take the whole summer and talk about the basic building blocks of being a community together. We throw that word uh, in church around all the time. We want to be a community of believers. We want to be a healthy community. But when you really get down to like really what it means, A, it's hard to figure out. Some of, you know, some of the basic building blocks are not easily understood. And two, it's hard. It's hard to be a community. So we thought that we would just kind of pause and for the summer, just talk about, hey, what does it take? What does it take to be a group of people called by God to be together and to somehow impact this world? And so today, we're going to talk about blessings. Now, uh, most of us, our first exposure to a blessing, which we toss about in, in everyday language of like, you know, some of us might say, well, we were blessed with a job or we're blessed with a home or we're blessed with good friends or whatever. And those are all uh, valid and completely normal ways to understand blessing as sort of uh, things that happen to us in the everyday course of life. And in that sense, some of our earliest exposures as people to blessings come in books like this that are given to high schoolers. This is my high school yearbook. And no, you can't see it. So this is our first exposure to sort of everyday blessings, words that people give us that generally just make us feel good about, thing, about ourselves and about who we are. And I thought that I would share some of my high school yearbook with you, uh, not the least of which so that I can be reminded of how cool I really was in high school. Not so much. Um, but here's some, here's some things that people wrote to me. Eric. You are a really sweet and special guy. High schoolers have a way with words. Good luck in college. You're going to be a huge success. 
Stay sweet and keep in touch. Does that sound like everybody's high school yearbook? Does that, I, I think that's just like the generic. High, okay, but check this out. Um, I'm glad I got to know you. Your wild and crazy self has made choir bearable. I was in choir. Keep up with your guitar. You're very good. And when you make your album, I want to. Good luck in the future, your friend always, Joe Wright. I need to look Joe Wright up in the internet and send him a couple CDs. I wonder if he'll remember that promise. And then this last one, which is my favorite. Um, Eric, I counted a privilege to have had you as a friend for so long. The guy I knew back in junior high. It makes me want to drink a beer. <laughs> I hope you're successful in all that you do. Don't party as hard as myself and always be a gentleman jammer. I have no idea what a gentleman jammer even is. Friends always, the beer drinking flasher. Yeah, wow. And I'm not going to share that guy's name because I've lived long enough to know that there's a good chance that somebody knows him in this room, no matter if this came from Texas or not. But that's our first understanding of sort of a blessing, like words that are just given to each other to say, like, hey, like, you're an all right person and, and stay sweet and you're a good guitar player in our yearbooks. But what I want to kind of throw out to us tonight is uh, the thought that in the Bible, in Scripture, there is a blessing and there is a level of blessings and an intensity of a blessing that goes far beyond anything that most of us have ever, ever experienced. And what we're going to do is take a look at it through the life of a guy named Jacob. Now, Jacob was Abraham's grandson. And uh, if you don't know the story, basically God calls a guy named Abram, he eventually changes his name to Abraham. He calls a guy uh, that is living somewhere near present day Iran and Iraq, and he says, leave this land, leave your family, leave everything you know, and come to a land that I'm going to show you. Eventually, it's, it's the land of Canaan, it's where it, present day Israel is now. And then God says these two things, which are kind of key for us tonight. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abram, and then your descendants are going to bless the world. That's like the most rad it's like the most fully formed idea of pay it forward you can imagine. Like God says, I'm going to bless you and now through your descendants the whole world is going to be blessed. And in fact, God thinks it's so important that he reiterates it to Abraham a couple times. Just basically reminding him, hey, I'm going to bless you. And then one day, your descendants will bless the whole world. Then Abraham has a son named Isaac. God does the same thing to Isaac. Hey, Isaac, just like I promised your dad, you're going to have descendants. And through those descendants, the entire world is going to be blessed. Then Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca. And Rebecca gets pregnant. And she finds out that she's pregnant with twins. The first son is born, and he comes out of the womb, and it says he is covered with a thick coat of red hair. Randy. <laughs> Just, Randy's shaking his head. And, and so they name the first child, not Randy, but Esau, which means, can you guess? Red. Actually, it doesn't. It means hairy. 
It sounds like the word that means hairy. So there wasn't a lot of great imagination back then. They were pretty much, well, this is kind of what the child is. He's hairy. Let's call him Harry. Um, then his brother comes out, and the story says that his brother comes out of the womb grasping his brother's heel. And so they look at this baby, and they decide to name this child Yaakov or Jacob. Now, Jacob is a homonym that means a few different things, or it sounds like a few different words. It can mean God protect. It also sounds like the word for deceiver. And lastly, in another burst of creative inspiration, it also means heel grabber. So they have these two babies, and the babies grow up, and uh, the brothers could not be any more different. Esau, it says, is a hunter and a sportsman, and he is very good at what he does. And in, those, in, the, in that day and age, I would say, I would suggest that Esau was everything that you wanted in an older son. Because these were not city-dwelling people. So if you had a hunter son that was good at hunting and killing things, that meant survival. It meant food on your table. And the Bible says that, Esau lo- or that uh, Isaac loved Esau. Jacob, on the other hand, it says, was a plain man, a simple man. And it said he dwelled among the tents. So Jacob was not a hunter, was not an outdoor guy, and it said Rebekah loved Jacob. So what we have here is is really the first mama's boy uh, in Scripture. And I say that in the fondest of terms because I am also a mama's boy. Uh, My mother still bakes me cookies every year. I'm the youngest. I have a a sister who's five years older than me. In uh, In fact, I've shared this story with some of you. Uh, my mother still calls me to even ask me what kind of cookies I want for Christmas every year. And she called me this past Christmas. She's like, I know you're coming up here. What kind of cookies do you want? Because you have to understand, like my mom will bake cookies for the grandchildren. But then I have my separate stash of cookies that nobody is allowed to touch. Yeah, it's special. So she says, hey, what kind of cookies do you want? And my first reaction is like, mom, I am 40 years old. You cannot seriously be asking me what kind of, and then I'm like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? This voice is going off in my head. Like, my mom's cookies are good. (laughs) I like them. So I shut up, and I was like, uh, snickerdoodles, please, just, oh, and make some peanut brittle, because I like the peanut brittle, too. So I am a self-confessed mama's boy. Jacob was as well. Now, uh, One day, Esau had been out hunting, doing what he does best, and he's coming back with a kill, and he comes across his brother Jacob, who is cooking some stew. Now, the Hebrew is so interesting there, because the Hebrew actually says that Jacob is stirring up some stew, or concocting some stew. And those words in the Hebrew mean exactly the way we hear them. If you're stirring up something or concocting something, you are up to no good. So Jacob is kind of plotting something, and his brother shows up, and he goes, I'm famished. I am, I'm dying of hunger. And I'm sure there's this moment when Jacob looks at all, like, the game that Esau has killed and been like, well, don't you have a lot of, like, dead animals right there if you're hungry? 
But Esau says, I'm starving. I am about to die. Give me some food. And Jacob, possibly being the deceiver at that time, says, I'll give you some food if you give me your rights as the firstborn son of our family, which is a really, really heavy thing to ask. Because the firstborn son in that culture got it all. You inherited the status your father had, and the father, if that, in that day and age, was the economic head of the family, he was the political head of the family, and what's more, he was the spiritual head of the family in the sense that there was no temple, no church. The father determined everything about the family, and the oldest son stood to inherit that. So Jacob says, you trade me your rights to become the, the, to inherit the status of our father, and I will give you some food. Esau does the unthinkable and takes him up on it. Trades his birth right away. So a few years or a lot of years pass by. Scripture says that Isaac is preparing to pass on. He's preparing to die. And when a father knew that his time was coming, it came time to bless his sons, but not bless them in the high school yearbook way, not bless them in sort of the everyday way, to bless them with a blessing that was far and away unique to anything else. And it's associated with this word called nefesh. And if we could all just say that, it's a little Hebrew word. Everyone say nefesh, nefesh. Nefesh in Hebrew means soul or myself. And when nefesh is used with the blessing that Isaac is about to give to his sons, it essentially means, literally, I, my soul, my soul blesses you. My self blesses you. But what it meant beyond the words was that this was the blessing that the father would give at the end of his life that would say, I am giving you my very essence Everything that has made me who I am, that has made me successful, that has made me the father, the man that I am, I am now giving to you. It was a a way to sort of pass on adulthood and fatherhood to the son. And it was something that happened only once, or if it happened more than once, it was still utterly, utterly unique and special. So, Isaac is preparing to give the nefesh blessing to his sons. So he tells Esau, go out, kill some things, and prepare a feast so that I may bless you. Now just a side note, when a father did this, he wasn't supposed to just tell one son. Even though the oldest son would stand to get sort of the predominant blessing, the father was supposed to tell all the sons to come and be in his presence. But, but Isaac does something somewhat, he kind of departs from culture. And he goes, I just want Esau. I just want my favorite. Go out, kill some game, bring it to me so that I may bless you. But, bless you. There you go. Uh, but Jacob's mother, Rebecca, hears Isaac's charge to Esau. And she goes to Jacob and says, your father is about to give the nefesh blessing to your brother. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get 
some goats from our herd. Don't go out hunting. Bring them to me because I think you should steal your brother's nephesh blessing. I think you should steal the blessing that will catapult you in to adulthood. Jacob at first says, no way. This is too risky. If my father finds out I'm doing this, he will curse me. Rebecca says, don't worry about it. I have a plan. Furthermore, if he finds out, let his curse fall on me. So Jacob agrees. He goes out to the herds. He gets a couple goats. They slaughter them. Rebecca prepares a meal. So we're just going to pick up the story out of Scripture now. Um, She gave Jacob the delicious meal. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the goats. Because remember, Esau is what? Hairy. I'm presuming that Jacob's not so hairy. But Rebecca says we can pull this off. So she drapes him in goat skins. Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Now, if you're a parent, whenever you ask your children, like if they've done something and they start to lie to you, let me just tell you this on faith. The number of words that a child uses is directly indicative of how much they are lying. So if you ask somebody, you know, who knocked over the plant? And one of them says, wasn't me. And the other one goes, well, it wasn't me because, you know, I wasn't even in the room and, and, and I wasn't even close to it. And, and, and you know something's up. So with that in mind, listen to these responses. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replies, uh, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. Isaac's not completely buying it. So he says, well, uh, how'd you find it so quickly? Uh, the Lord God put it in my path. Now, I'm not a hunter, but I'm assuming that hunting involves more than just kind of walking out like, you know, an hour and then getting like a really good, delicious meal. Anybody else a hunter that can verify that? No? So, Jacob basically says, well, God, God just kind of made it happen. Isaac still Suspicious. He says, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you're really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. He said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless him. And he asked one more time, but are you really, are you really Esau? Yes, I am, Jacob replied. So Isaac gets ready. He eats the wild game. He eats the feast. Jacob went over and kissed his father. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, because he was wearing Esau's clothes. Now, um, I probably didn't mention this, but if you don't know the story, Isaac, Isaac is old and his eyesight is failing. That's why he's wondering, like, kind of who this is. Isaac caught the smell of his clothes. He was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors which the Lord has blessed. And here comes the nephesh blessing. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you 
abundant harvest of grain and beautiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed. All who bless you will be blessed. And that is the Nefesh blessing. It cannot be taken back. With, that, with those words, Isaac has catapulted his son into adulthood. He has given his son, as much as he can, his essence, his soul. As soon as Isaac finished blessing Jacob, guess who shows up? Esau. So Esau comes in with a, with a feast and brought it to his father. He said, sit up, my father. Eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. And Isaac says the words that must have chilled Esau's soul. He says, who are you? And notice the difference of the replies. Esau, Esau says, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it. And I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here. He tricked me and he has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, deceiver, heel grabber. For now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, which I would say that he didn't exactly take them, but Esau kind of volunteered his rights as the firstborn as well. And now he has stolen my blessing. Haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I've made Jacob your master. And I've declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? And he begs again, oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you'll live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You'll live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. So incidentally, Isaac does find a blessing to give Esau. He doesn't just cast him out. But that is uh, the biblical portrayal of the intensity of the nephesh blessing and what it happens what happens if you don't get it? Now, at the end of Jacob's life, he now repeats this scene, but he does it a little bit more in a healthy way. He calls all of his sons to him, 12 sons. That will be the 12 tribes of Israel. And through each of these sons, he repeats the same thing. And this is kind of where we learn a little bit more about what a blessing is. He calls their name. He affirms their identity. And he tells them of their special place and role in God's kingdom. Reuben, you're my firstborn. 
Judah, my son, you're a young lion. Issachar is a sturdy donkey. Dan will govern his, govern his people. Asher will dine on rich foods. Joseph, Benjamin, says their names, affirms their identity, and then says, this is who you are and who you will be in God's kingdom. And so that's what a blessing does. It affirms our name. It reminds us who we are at, not just at a like a, hey, uh, you know, hey, Dan, or a, hey, Trace, not that name level, the level of your identity, the level where you go, that is who I am. That is, that is the chorus level of my being. And the blessing affirms that, says yes to it. And then it actually calls you to say like, this is who you are and this is what God has for you and it is a good, good thing. Now we might see some of this stuff in our culture today and be like, well, I don't understand this thing with names. Like names are, are important. But you know, we name children months sometimes before they come out of the womb. We decide on names beforehand. But it's a big business, they'll tell you. Like there's books on babies' names. If you've ever been a parent, man, it's an excruciating process. But there's not this association in our culture with names the way the ancients held it and even the way some of the rest of the world holds it about how your name is indicative of who you are and your personality and your character traits. Some people kind of hint at it and get at it. For instance, there was a guy in the 1950s lived in New York City. His name was Robert Lane. Robert Lane had a baby son. And Robert Lane named his baby son Winner. W-I-N-N-E-R. Winner Lane. Imagine catapulting your son out into the world with a name like Winner. You were setting him up for success, surely. Well, then Mr. Lane had another baby and another baby and another baby and another baby after that. Finally, Mr. Lane gets to the seventh child, who incidentally is also a son. Mr. Lane, being somewhat creative, names his seventh son. Any guesses? No. He names his seventh son Loser. So you have Winner Lane and Loser Lane. Oh, but wait. If Winter Lane could hardly be expected to fail, could Loser Lane possibly succeed? Is the power of our names so great? Well, Loser Lane did in fact succeed. He went to prep school on scholarship, graduated from Lafayette College in Pennsylvania, joined the New York Police Department, where he made detective and eventually sergeant. Although he never hid his name, many people were uncomfortable using it. He says, so I have a bunch of names. They call me Jimmy to James or Timmy, but they rarely ever call me Loser. Once in a while, he said they throw a French twist on it and call me Lucier. To his police college colleagues, he's known as Lou. But what of his brother? What of Winter Lane? He's now in his mid-40s. 
nearly three dozen arrests for burglary, domestic violence, trespassing, resisting arrest, and other mayhem. The father who named them is no longer alive. Clearly, he had the right idea that naming is your, is your destiny, but he just mixed up the boys. Does naming really have that much uh, power over us? In a sense, no, but Bible tells us that names are important. Like I mentioned before, God calls a guy named Abram. But when Abram has kids, what does he change his name to? Abraham, which means the father of many. Jacob, in, his middle, in the middle of his life, he has a wrestling match with a guy in the middle of the night. And it turns out like it's a servant of God or it's God himself. And that man changes Jacob's name to Israel. Israel means he who struggles with God. And that's, when the, that's where the nation got its name, Israel. The power of a name. Jesus' Hebrew name. Anybody know what it is? His Hebrew name. It's Joshua. Yeshua. Anybody know what Joshua or Yeshua means in Hebrew? It means God saves. God is salvation. The power of a name. In another way, a guy named Saul, persecutor of the church, has a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. And God says, your name's no longer Saul. It is Paul. As a symbol to say, that guy does not exist anymore. You have a new name. The Bible also tells us that someday that God has a name written for every single one of us, written on a white stone. And one day, in a very, uh, in, uh, to me, a very intimate and special image, it says that God will come up to us and he will give us and show us this white stone on which is written the name he has for every single one of his children. And as for, like, that blows my mind to think of that. But if we have not, if we don't know our name and we don't have that deep confidence in the identity that we have, there's something missing in our lives. See, so many of us would say that we've never been affirmed by our Father or affirmed by someone that means some, something so, so much to us, that we've never received the nefesh blessing that tells every one of us at the deepest level of who you are, at your name level. You are loved, you are affirmed, you are all right. And if you have not received that blessing, I don't have to tell you how difficult and how challenging life can be. That so much of us immediately go into, into activity mode where we work so hard to prove our, to ourselves that no, no, I am all right. I am okay. My identity is valid. But scripture would also tell you, and I would suggest to you tonight that the blessing and your identity so precedes your activity. And we are in such a rush to do things, sometimes to just prove that we're okay. But God would say, just wait. Have you been blessed? Have you been blessed by your parents? Have you been affirmed by a close friend? Have you been affirmed by your heavenly father? Because 
no matter what type of activity we do, if we have not dealt with our identity, which I know Dan's going to talk about next week, if we have not dealt with the identity and whether or not we're blessed, our activity will be frenetic. It will be a little bit sideways. And we even see this from Jesus' life. When Jesus was baptized, if you remember what happened, the heavens opened and a voice speaks out that says, this is my this is my son with whom I am well pleased or with, who, for, with whom I love. The name, the identity, a statement of value. And I know how important these blessings are. And I'm going to tell you, if, if you may only receive a blessing on the level of the nefesh blessing once in your life, one time. But the good news is it only takes once. Some of us may be fortunate to have two or three of these, if, if, just depending on who your friends are and how your parents are growing up. Um, you can't expect this every day, but it matters. I remember uh, I've received two that I am sure about. Two that I would say went to the core of my being and changed my life forever. And the first time it happened, a friend of mine, we were in a worship gathering. I had never led worship at this point. I was never on staff at a church. And in the middle of the gathering, one of my closest friends that, know, that knew me and knows me so well turned to me, put his hands on my shoulders, looked into my eyes and said, Eric Case, you will lead God's people into his presence through music. And it rocked my world. And that, that struggle that I had had that said, what am I going to do with this music thing and this spiritual thing? All of a sudden said, they will be married like this. You will lead God's people into his presence. And then kind of the more deep level, um, I said that, you know, I was kind of like Jacob. And that's really legitimate. Um, my dad, I love my dad, and we have a, gr a good relationship, if not a great relationship. But my dad was a Marine. My dad was a sports guy. He played sports. He coached sports. He, he hunted, not very well, but he hunted. I grew up in the country, believe it or not. And I didn't know what to do with my dad. And in a, in a vulnerable, safe place one time my dad basically said he didn't know what to do with me either because he wanted to go out and play ball and I wanted to read books and sing to Osmond records <laughs> did I just say that out loud gonna be some Facebook comments tonight and so I went through most of my adult life wondering if my dad really liked me, I knew he loved me, but there was always that nagging thing at my identity name level. Am I good enough for my father? Because I'm not a hunter. I'm not a Marine. I'm not even a sports guy. All I did was want to keep reading and keep singing. And all the time, no matter what I did, there's this voice in the back of my head. Are you good enough for dad? 
And then one day, I got a letter in the mail. And I opened up this letter. And it was a letter from my father. I've only received one letter from my father my entire life. And this was it. And I opened up the letter and it said, Son, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you for sticking with music for so long. And then he confessed to me that guess what? He wanted to be a musician too. And he said, I wanted to do it, but I never had the guts. And he said, and you did it. You stuck with it for years. And now, this was after I had started working at a church, and he said, and now look at you. You've done it. And he's like, I am so proud of the life that you've built. I'm so proud of uh, the, the wife that I found because I married very well. Guys, always marry up. He said, I'm so proud of you. And in the, I don't know if I realized it in that moment, but as you can guess, that was it for me. And as the days passed and the weeks passed, that voice that wondered, are you good enough? There's another voice there that said, yes. Yes, because I received the blessing. And now, in case you're wondering, Paul says that we are now the children of Abraham. We are now the people of the blessing. God blessed Abraham and said, your, your descendants will bless the whole world. That's us. We are now called to bless the whole world. And so there are those here who are in a position where you might need to deliver a blessing. There may be here, people here that are like, you know what, I've got a close friend or I've got a child that needs to hear these words. I don't want to discount the other side of the equation. There are those here who are waiting or who may be like Esau and going, Father, don't you have a blessing for me too? And some of you might be in positions where the people you most need to hear the blessing from are no longer part of your life for one reason or another. But here's the deal. I believe, and I hope that most of us believe, that we have a Father in heaven that can and wants to and will deliver the nefesh blessing to you. That if you allow, allow him, if you open up to him, he will go to the foundational identity level of your life and say, yes, you are loved. Sometimes it might be that simple. Some of you also might have to just say that I am going to pursue this no matter what. And you may have to go through the hard work of finding a counselor, a Christian counselor that can walk you through how to receive this for your, for your life. Because no matter how much you try to fill it up with activity, whether it's ministry, whether it's businesses, whether it's uh, stuff that's not so good, there will always be that question. Um, when we all stand together, and I hope that 
for some of you, maybe just one person in here tonight, that your healing may begin right now. It may not end right now, but that maybe your journey may start right now. And as we sing, I hope that you're just reminded of God's posture towards you that says, come, 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 come. I will give you water that, is, uh, that will quench your thirst. I will give you food that will satisfy your hunger. I will bless you as my child. So let's just sing and respond to our Father in heaven as Patrick leads us.